As Richard mentioned already, today we are continuing walking through the book of Malachi together. In this final book of the Old Testament, we see God addressing his people, the Israelites, uh, people through his prophet Malachi. Uh, This book takes place in what's called the post-exilic period. This is when Israel had gone to Babylon in exile, and now they've returned. They've returned to Jerusalem. And although we expect that they be grateful to God for his faithfulness in bringing them back, uh, we find instead that they were ignoring his laws. They were drifting away from him. And so in, in six different disputes or conversations, God is going to reveal to them their sin with the hope of bringing them back to himself. Today we come to the fifth of these disputes. And so let's hear the passage now as Debbie comes up to read for us. Today's reading is from Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, How are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For years will be, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Great. Well, thank you, Debbie. Money matters. There's just no getting around it. It is not unspiritual to think about it, to be concerned about it. In a very significant way, your life will be shaped by what you think about money. You and I will interact with money in some way, and that interaction is one of the things that will set the direction of our lives. And when it comes to the Bible, money is a big deal. We're given more instruction in the Bible about money than almost anything else. I wonder how this quote strikes you this morning. I think for many of us, it almost uh, makes us blush a little bit. Maybe we feel a little embarrassed. Perhaps we know that God wants us, of course, to use our resources well for his glory. God wants us to give. But if we're honest, we feel just a little uncomfortable to give too much importance to money or spend so much airtime talking about it. 
Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, or, or even if you are, and you've never really understood completely why we're told to give to the Lord. I mean, does God really need our money? Or maybe giving has always made you feel guilty. You've, like you're never doing enough. Uh, churches, uh, always talking about money, like, really, I have to sit through another talk on this? Well, you might be surprised at this, but Jesus talked about money all the time. In fact, he talked about money more times than he talked about heaven or hell. And this conversation about money uh, is not just with Jesus. It's really a theme through the whole of the Bible. In our passage this morning, we see that God cares deeply about how his people are using their money. People of Israel were not handling their money well. In fact, so sinfully were they using what God had given them that God accuses them of robbing him. God is not going to leave them there. He's going to address his people to show them his goodness. And so really the main point for us uh, is that Christians should give to the Lord and his work because giving is actually for our good I think the text today argues this point really in three kind of principles or reasons why Christians should give to the Lord and his work. And you'll see that on that handout if you have that in front of you. So wherever you are with giving, I pray that the Spirit would help us all come humbly to God's word. uh, That we'd see the great joy that God intends for us in the grace of giving. So let's look at the first together, which is that Christians should give obediently. Look at verse 7 to 9. Ever since the time your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So far in Malachi, we've seen many ways in which God's people have turned away from him. Uh, God had made a covenant with his people to be their God and to bless them. uh, But they've broken this covenant in so many ways by forsaking his decrees and his laws. But the Lord reveals uh, yet again his great mercy with his people, his great patience with them. He says, uh, return to me no matter what you've done, and I will return to you. Fortunately, though, Israel is so blinded by sin that they don't see the problem. They ask, how are we to return? Wait a second, God. I don't see this. Uh, We haven't moved away from you. God says, yes. You have, verse 8, will a mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And they ask, how? How are we doing this? And God reveals to them the heart of the issue here in verse 9. He says, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So we see as a result of their coldness towards God that Israel was not honoring their commitment to bring the tithe and the offering to the Lord as he told them to do. Under God's law, 
that he gave them through Moses, God's people were required to give tithes of money and produce for various offerings in the temple. So, for example, we read in Leviticus 27. Uh, here's Moses speaking of the law. He says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the, uh, of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. It belongs to him. Uh, the word tithe here really just means a tenth. It's like a 10% of what they owned was to be set aside for the Lord's use. And these tithes were really to support the priests who were keeping the temple worship going, the sacrifices and such. They acted as offerings to God. They showed their reverence for God and their dependence on him. Uh, We think often uh, of a tithe just as a tenth, uh, but actually... Uh, the Lord commanded many of these tithes for Israel throughout the year. Uh, and so if we add up Israel's annual giving, uh, their tithe was more like 20% or round about. And so when God's people were holding back a portion for themselves, they were breaking God's law. And God had promised a blessing for those who obeyed his law and a curse for those who didn't. And we see evidence of this there in verse 11, their crops and their vines were damaged and sick. And God actually says they are robbing him, They're taking what belonged to God and using it for themselves. So you get the picture here. Uh, God had given them all this wealth, everything they owned, and he wants a part of it back. And they're like, mm, not going to do that. Don't want to do that, God. Uh, we're, I think we're meant to feel some of the scandal of this. If you're here visiting Hong Kong and enjoying the relaxation of travel restrictions, uh, maybe you've looked up some of the popular tourist attractions here, uh, in which case you've probably heard about the Big Buddha statue over on Lantau Island. Well, imagine for a moment that I decided to take the cable car up to uh, the Big Buddha. Well, while no one was around, I went into one of the shrines in the monastery and I stole everything they had, stuffing whatever I could fit into my bag, and then I left. Well, that, of course, would be a shockingly scandalous and foolish thing of me to steal from a place that's so sacred and held in high regard by many. How could anyone do that? Well, that scandal, that robbery would cause is a tiny fraction of the scandal we should feel here of God's people robbing from him, the very maker of the heavens and the earth. Why? Oh, because of the truth that all things, all wealth belongs to God and is rightly his. God is the creator of all things and anything we have comes from his hand. A couple passages here that help us see this. 1 Chronicles 29 uh, verse 11 and then 16 says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And then verse 16. 
Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Similarly, Psalm uh, chapter 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The friends, all we have is from God, which another way to say that would be God owns everything we own. God says he owns not just the things we possess, but even the money that's under our name in bank accounts and the currency in our wallets. Same goes for the apartments we live in, the car we drive, the clothes hanging in your closet, all God's. From the Bible's perspective, we own nothing. God owns everything. We are but stewards. We're managers of what he's graciously given us. I think if we're honest, this perspective towards money that the Bible gives is, is difficult for us. Our attitude uh, often is probably more like the Israelites here. Uh, you can just hear them saying something like, now, now wait a second, uh, didn't we earn our money? Don't you know how hard I've worked for this? The hours I've put in to get where I am today? I went to university, I studied, I made the connections I needed to, I passed the tests and trials with my own skill, and we're quite proud of, of what we've managed to actually do, the prosperity we've gained. What is the Lord's reply? You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. The Lord says, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the mind and the strength to earn what you've earned? The jobs we hold, the success we've known, the relationships that we have, the experiences even that have shaped us all from him, from his grace and his goodness. If you lend a car to a friend, or maybe to your uh, teenager, although that's pretty risky business. Uh, imagine finding out then a week later that they're still driving it around uh, with no intention of giving it back to you. You'd be like, um, excuse me, uh, can you give it back please? But then don't we act just like this when it comes to God's things? So maybe a good question for us this morning is, how does your own perspective of your wealth compare to God's perspective? How do you view the money that's currently in your possession, primarily God's or yours? I think it's often by looking at our habits of giving and what our giving looks like that shows us where the answer to that question actually lies. So then, how do we as Christians give obediently to God? How do we avoid robbing him as Israel does here? Well, I think we need to be clear that as New Testament Christians, we're not commanded to tithe in the same way that the Israelites were under the law of Moses. Now, this does not mean that uh, God no longer asks us to give to his work, but rather than give a specific required percentage, 
What the New Testament teaches is the principle of giving regular and generously a portion of our earnings to the Lord. This is done out of a love for him and a humility to him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul says to the church, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Here and other places in the New Testament, the pattern is clear. Uh, We give regularly to the Lord's work. This is the way we train our hearts to remember that all we have belongs to God and ought to be used for his glory. Sure, there'll be seasons where we give less or some where we give more, but the principle is not the amount. It's this regular, habitual giving. God owns all we have. He's the one who gets to decide how to use what he owns. And I think we'll be happiest when we use God's money and God's ways Of course, now that the local church is the central place where God uh, brings out his will and his plan of salvation, it's no longer the Old Testament temple, as we see here. That means that our regular giving should go to the local church. This is why when we take the offering, we can say things like, uh, this is an opportunity to give to the Lord and his work. Each of us obey the Lord by giving to the local church where we're committed, whether that's here at Ambassador or whether that's elsewhere. Give obediently and regularly because all things belong to God. But then if God owns everything, why does he ask us to give to him at all? Does he really need what we have? What is the purpose? Well, that brings us to point two, give joyfully. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me. The Lord says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields. I will not let their uh, fruit drop before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. So what does the Lord promise if Israel repents and brings the whole tithe? Well, the Lord says, if you'll return to me in this way and stop withholding uh, money, the blessings will come. The crops that have been cursed will be restored. In fact, I'll open the very heavens. I'll pour out so much blessing and abundance. There will be no room to store it. There will be no need. Quite ironically, Uh, By withholding their tithes, Israel is hurting themselves. They're hurting their crops by invoking God's curse. They are robbing God, but in another sense, they're robbing themselves. They're robbing themselves of an opportunity to see God and his love and mercy meet their needs to provide for them. Verse 10, when he says, test me in this, uh, I think what God's doing is, challenging the people to give the tithe that they owe him and then watch, watch to see if he will work for them. He's saying, Israel, come on now. I I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. Trust me on this. Watch me be faithful and generous. I think this is a pretty amazing challenge from God. 
course, this isn't a guarantee that they'll get rich. It's not telling them to be reckless or foolish or that their obedience will uh, you know, result in bigger bank accounts. Rather, it's a guarantee that if they obey in this way, they will find God faithful and ready and willing to give abundantly to them. Giving to God isn't like paying a bill. It isn't done out of just cold obedience because something bad will happen to you if you don't. No, God wants his people to give because he knows it's good for us. God asks us to give to him with joy. He's a good father. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. He wants to provide for us. He wants us to depend on him. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up on this same idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, where he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Friends, God blesses the generous giver. When you give bountifully, he gives bountifully. Now, of course, we need to say that uh, prosperity theology is a false teaching. Scripture does not teach that if you give God a lot, he will make you financially rich here on earth. Uh, God is not like karma. He just doesn't work like that. But even though the prosperity gospel is wrong and should be avoided, uh, we shouldn't overreact the other way either. I think the truth remains that the Lord loves to provide for his people. And we should be generous towards his work in a way that that you need the Lord to to be showing up in your life. One of the great joys of the believer is to give to the Lord's work and then see him supply our needs faithfully in in often miraculous and unseen ways. Uh, Don Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, uh, recounts this story of his friend. He says, I have a pastor friend who was uh, convicted by the poor widow's faith of his own need to trust God more for the provision of his needs. So he decided with his wife to give an entire month's salary to the Lord and entrust him to provide for them. They were almost out of food when a woman came by with several sacks of groceries. How did you know? They asked since they had told no one of their plan. But she knew nothing of their situation. She simply sensed that the Lord wanted her to take groceries to her pastor. They trusted God, demonstrated their faith by giving, and God provided Now, God doesn't always promise to provide in this same way or in the timing that we maybe expect, but he does promise to meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians. And friends, we can lean hard on that promise. Not only that, but of course, Jesus promises eternal reward in heaven when we use financial resources faithfully in this life. Uh, We can't be certain what that will entail, but we know that will be worth it. It will be way beyond worth anything we'd give here. And so, friends, how fully are you leaning on God with your finances? 
How much joy could we be forfeiting by withholding lavishly and sacrificially to him? Test me, he says to us this morning. Let me bless you. Let me provide for you. So we give joyfully because God blesses and God supplies our needs. But then finally, the point three, we give generously. Verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Not only does the Lord promise blessings to pour out and provision for their crops if they will bring in the whole tithe, but he promises that actually everyone around you will look at how I provide for you and they'll say, wow, they, they are blessed. The Lord is surely with them. This phrase, uh, a delightful land, would have been really familiar, I think, to the original readers. Uh, They've read about a land of delight before, back in Genesis chapter 2. This refers to Eden. Eden means delight, where God dwelled with Adam and Eve. This was the delightful land. So the picture here is that God saying, Israel, uh, don't hoard your money. Uh, Trust me, if you give in faith, you'll get a little taste of Eden, a place of delight where God is with his people, delighting in them. So even though God's people were cold to him, he extends his hand in love, saying, return to me, I will generously give you everything you need. They were stingy, God was generous. My friends, this is our God. Our God is a lavish overflowing, bountiful God who loves to give good gifts to his people. He reminds us of that in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Everything we have and enjoy is not there by accident or random. It's specifically because he gave it to us out of his love. The relationships that you enjoy, uh, food, a nice cup of coffee, your work, creation itself, those did not come to you by accident. You certainly didn't create them yourself. They were given by an infinitely rich and generous God, a God who loves to give to his people. And if those things weren't enough, he went far beyond all of that to demonstrate his love when he sent us his son. The gift of Jesus to sinful mankind was the ultimate gift of generosity. So great and unfathomable, uh, no great display of generosity will ever surpass that of Jesus Christ. Uh, You see, the truth is, uh, all of us, are guilty in one way or another of robbing God with how we've used our money or our time. None of us will be totally faithful to him. And yet, there's hope for us. Because Jesus Christ took our sin on himself by being nailed to a cross. He died the death that we deserved as punishment for our sin. So that now by trusting in him, by receiving him in faith as the Lord of our lives, we receive his riches for ourselves. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be rich. Friends, the riches that Christ offers surpass anything the world can offer. Think about it. Peace with God. Adoption as his children. Sanctification. Eternal life with him forever. And it's against this backdrop, God's unfathomable generosity and grace, that we are compelled to be truly generous with what we possess. For us then, I think the issue is not just that we give, but how we give. Friends, if Jesus is in us, then increasingly such an open-handed tendency, I think, will be in us as well. So in light of the gospel, uh, maybe ask yourself this, how generous am I with what God has given me? Are we giving the bare minimum just to say we did it? Or are we giving lavishly to the Lord's work as he has given to us? Of course, generous giving is going to look different for each person, but it'll always involve some kind of sacrifice. If you're not unsure how much to give, uh, maybe you've been uh, convicted this morning to give a bit more. One idea is to just use Israel as a starting point, uh, which would have been somewhere between 10 and 20% of, of total income. And then go from there. I know a friend from a previous church who gave 90% and only kept 10 because he was making enough money to live on the 10% that he actually kept. Uh, what could it look like for you to give generously? Uh, remember this, the generous giver doesn't ask, how much do I need to give to be generous? Instead, they say, how much can I give to spur on the Lord's work and to bless his people? And friends, if you have more questions on this, feel free to reach out to one of the pastors. Uh, talk with those in the church who are maybe particularly wise when it comes to stewarding uh, money. I can recommend some of those people for you if you'd like. Uh, but then pray. Pray that the Lord, Lord, you've given me so much. How can I thoughtfully and humbly begin to think about stewarding what you've given me well for your glory, for the spread of your work? And so we've seen that as God's precious and cherished people, we are called by our Father to give obediently because he's given us all we have, to give joyfully because he wants to bless us, and to give generously because of his great generosity towards us in Christ. Perhaps you read this text this morning and you thought this was going to be all about guilting people into giving. You know, don't you dare rob God. But that's not the Lord's heart. The Lord wants us to enjoy giving. He wants to bless us. Don Whitney, in the same book on spiritual disciplines, says this. Some people give to God like they fork over to the IRS after an audit. Others give to God like they pay their electric bill. But a few people give to God like they gave an engagement ring to their fiancé. Or like they... They give wrapped surprises to their children on Christmas morning. Friends, when you consider how God has given you the greatest possible gift of his son, Jesus, when you recall the mercy and grace he applies to you each morning, when you reflect on all he provides, all you have, you're freed up to be able to give to him joyfully and generously. 
he goes on to say, If Jesus Christ himself was outside in the hallway of your worship service on Sunday morning, and everything you gave that service went directly in his hands to be used for him and his kingdom, probably the only thing lighter than your heart after that worship service would be your wallet because of the realization that you have indeed given to God himself. A church, may we all increasingly enjoy the act of giving to our great Lord and Savior for his glory and his work. Let's, let's pray together as we close. Oh, Father, we, we do praise you for your word to us this morning. Lord, we pray that you'd help us as your church be, be those people who would give joyfully to you and your work. We pray that uh, you'd be faithful to your promises to provide all our needs according to your riches in Jesus. And we pray uh, you'd, you'd help us really trust in that promise, that we'd increasingly learn to lean on you by the way we give. We ask, Lord, you might grow us all in this area, that outsiders might see our generosity and know something of your own generousness towards your people. And Lord, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.